Hello, and welcome to Lessons with Dad. And I'm here with my daughter, Ruthie. Hi. And today we're going to talk about would you rather be cool or rich? We're continuing our series with Ramit Sethi's book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich, and our study in personal finance. So, Ruthie, what do you think? What does Ramit mean by would you rather be cool or rich? Um, I think it means that it doesn't have to mean one or the other. Like they can be like cool and rich together. Mm, maybe. And that, we'll talk a little bit more. I think he means something slightly different, but it's a, I, I like where you're going with that. So which would you choose? If you had to choose one, would you rather be cool or would you rather be rich? Which would you choose? Rich. Ah, any reason, any particular reason why? Um, because if you're rich, you can be cool. <laughs> Maybe. And look, when he says rich, he doesn't mean rich by meaning lots of money. So it's interesting in both areas of this book, we're going to go through, but, but later we'll get into the cool versus rich debate a bit later, but this section kind of starting a little backwards here, but we're going to go through this whole cool versus rich debate is really the introduction to the book. This is the beginning. We started kind of in the middle just because there were some things going on in our family where your sister Meredith, uh, who just graduated from college, has got her first job and is now getting her own pers first personal credit card. So we started with uh, our first two lessons on credit cards, which he talks a lot about uh, in this book. And so we use this as the template but now we're kind of backtracking and going to the introduction. So today we're going to cover the introduction of the book. And he begins the introduction by drawing some similarities between the habits and invisible scripts that we have, individuals have with money, food, weight loss, fitness. Oh, and by the way, finance. So it's interesting to see how these concepts have direct applications in these areas of life. They're all very similar. So let's take a look at a few of these. So I'll, I'll go through one side, Ruthie, you go to the other. So here's an example. When it comes to food, we don't track our calorie intake. When it comes to personal finance, we don't track our spending. Yeah. When it comes to food, we eat more than we know. When it comes to personal finance, we spend more than we realize or, or admit. Hmm. When it comes to food, we debate the minutiae about calories, workouts, or the latest fad diet. When it comes to personal finance, we debate minutiae about interest rates and hot stocks. Yeah. And when it comes to food, we value anecdotal advice over actual research. When it comes to personal finance, we listen to friends and TV talking heads instead of reading a few good personal finance books. That's right. And if you're listening to this podcast and apply the principles of the book, you're on, you're on a good path already. You're on your way to taking control of your personal finance. That's right. If you don't have, you don't have to be an ex expert, but you do need to know how to cut through all the information and get started. That's right. So, it's important to know how to get started. And if that's the case, why is managing, why do you think Ruthie managing money for so many Americans is so hard? They don't know how. Yeah, they don't know how it's hard and people don't know where to start. And 
you know, you go to school for all these years and they don't talk a lot about how to do it. Um, why do you think so many people struggle with it? They don't know how, what else do you think? Um, maybe they're, they like don't know where to start. Yeah. They, it's hard. They don't know where to start. So they're intimidated. Right. And I can tell you this, when people make mistakes that, and if you see this, it's a psychological thing. I don't know why, but people lose money, whatever, and they stick their head in the sand. They just don't want to look at it. They've made a bad decision. And you can see this, you see, you know, we watch some of the Ramit uh, Sethi, the author of this book that we're using as our template. He also has a Netflix series and you watch these individuals and they've made a bad mistake. And what do they do? They don't even go look at it. They have their bills stacking up and they just pile them in a corner or they don't talk to their spouse for whatever reason. There's a lot of shame and guilt around this. So it's difficult, but, uh, Ramit focuses a lot of advice of his advice in this book on young adults, not exclusively, but he wants to give everyone the tools they need to, to live their rich lives. We're going to focus our section because this is, you know, a podcast to young adults, high school, college, and young professionals. But, but let's see, we're going to kind of glean what we can out of this, um, for young people starting their careers. So let's see what Ramit has to say. Here are a few of the reasons that Ramit says managing money is hard. There's a few, we're going to talk about one of these, but what, here are a few more that he talks about. Information glut or too much information, mm-hmm. media misinformation. That's right. And the rise of the victim culture. The rise of the victim. What is the victim culture, Ruthie? I have no <laughs> idea. You have no idea. You haven't heard that term before? No. Well, we're going to get into it and it's, it, it really, look, Ramit has some very strong views on this topic of the victim culture, and he really calls all of us out on this. So hold on. This is going to be a fiery discussion, but it's, it's going to be good. Here, so go ahead. Start right here, Ruthie. There's always someone else to blame for the challenges you face. Society, I was born into a bad situation, education, discrimination, fear of losing money, credit card and banks. That's right. People want to blame someone else for what's going on in their lives, especially their finances. So do you see people blaming others rather than taking personal responsibility, Ruthie? Where do you see this? Where do you see that happen? Um, like in school, if you get a bad grade on the test, you could like blame it on the teacher. Oh, that's right. Or maybe, you know, whatever the reason people blame something. So that's right. You see it in school. You can see it in sports. People don't want to take their own personal responsibility. They want to blame society or I was born into this situation or whatever you can do to blame someone else. I'm going to paraphrase for me. thoughts on the victim culture because these aren't necessarily my thoughts, but I do agree with a lot of his ideas here. So here's what he says. So many people complain about the problems without, without looking at their own behavior. They give up at the first sign of failure. If you want to be a passenger in life, fine, go with the flow. It's more fun to be the captain of your own ship, even if it goes off course sometimes. And then he continues later. As you can see, I don't have a lot of sympathy for people who complain about their situation in life, but do nothing about it. That's why I wrote this book. I want you to be empowered to take control of your situation 
no matter where in life you started. So the rise of the victim culture has gotten a lot of people, Ruthie. Here are some of the scripts you hear. I can't invest or save money. I don't make enough. If the baby boomers hadn't ruined it all for us, and the world is against me. That's right. And the victim culture is a complex issue. There's many factors and circumstances, you know, that you're just born into as a matter of just pure luck. But we can play. We have the opportunity to play the cards we're dealt and focus on what we can control. And and I I like this little section here by Ramit because he says, I was never going to play in the NBA, but I was really good at math. There are other areas that were more gray, becoming more fit, learning to be better in social situations, improving my networking skills, becoming a better manager. I had to learn these skills and work really, really, really hard. So what do do you take away from that, Ruthie, and, and those comments? How do you think that applies to you? like trying to improve in the areas you don't think you can improve in. That's right. And in all areas of life, right? You know, playing in the NBA, it's kind of like saying, Hey, I won the lottery. It's a lottery ticket to wealth. Right. And so what he's saying is, Hey, very, very, you know, far less than 1% are going to get these lottery tickets in life to do these things. And so what, what he's saying here is, we all have control over other things. Maybe you're not good in math, but maybe you're really good in uh, analytics, or maybe you're good in, you know, creativity or very good in social media, whatever these things are, and then get the other skills, work hard to gain the other skills you need to become great and have a really strong career. Ramit says, put the excuses aside. That's right. He, he continues on. He says, listen up, crybabies. This isn't your grandma's house, and I'm not going to bake you cookies and coddle you. A lot of your financial problems are caused by one person, you. Instead of blaming circumstances on corporate America for your financial situation, you need to focus on what you can change yourself. What if you could consciously decide how to spend your money rather than say, I guess that's how much I spent last month. Wow. You can see he's passionate about this and he's passionate about this and wants each of us to take responsibility. So kind of like you said, Ruthie, where do we start? All of us say, where do we start? Well, he says to start with small steps. What does that remind you of? Atomic habits. That's right. Tiny changes, remarkable results. That's what atomic habits is all about. A lot of the themes and things that you hear in this book, you're going to hear from our first series in the books we read there. So it's about the small steps, understanding the barriers that keep us from managing our money and then tearing them down and putting our money in the right places so we can achieve our goals. That's, that's, you know, we're going to get into more of this here during the introduction, but that's what this whole book is about. And our goal is not to become a financial expert. It's about living life and letting money serve you. Instead of saying, how much money do I need to make? You'll say, what do I want to do with my life and how can I use money to do it? Rami wants to remove the guilt we can feel about spending money. Enjoy the fruits of your labor. Just make sure to have a conscious spending plan and spend money on the right things, the things that we have decided are most important to us. 
That's right. And we're going to get into that. What is a conscious spending plan? I never heard that term, but I love it. And we'll talk a little bit about that because it's one of the big ideas in his book here. So one additional item that he touches on in this section, and I think it's highly important to our audience here because there's a lot of debate these days on student loan debt. It's a hot topic in the media. Journalists love to write about student loan, the student loan crisis. But Ramit says a student loan can be one of the best investments you ever make. Ruthie, this is an opportunity. When you're going to college, when you're in high school, you may not realize it, but going, being in high school, going to college, that's an investment you're making in what? What are you investing in? Like the future for yourself. That's right. You're investing in yourself, getting an education, getting smarter, getting better. You're investing in yourself and in your future. You're exactly right. And the average bachelor degree holder, here's an interesting statistic, the average bachelor degree, that's not the greatest. It's not a, just the average degree earns $1 million in their lifetime more than people with a high school diploma. That's a huge difference in lifetime income. And that's the value of getting your degree. So yes, debt stinks. And yes, some people have been taken advantage of by predatory college and degree programs. But if you stick it out and get your degree, it's an invaluable investment in your future. And we need to be wise about the debt we're going to take on and understand the returns. So you can probably pay off your student loan debt faster than you think. We're going to cover you know, paying off debt and college loans in a future episode. But your t college degree is almost certainly worth it even if you only consider the return on investment and not include the benefits of making lifelong friends, building strong habits of discipline, exposing yourself to new ideas and making yourself more intelligent. And we learned a lot about the benefits of education in the book by Richard Nisbet, Intelligence and How to Get It. That was another one of the books we studied. If you haven't heard those episodes, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to it. It's a great, great book. But here are a few of the big ideas that he has. We're going to go through these and then step into the top 10. One is the 85%. Well, go. what's the first one? I'm sorry. I'm reading your part. The 85% solution. That's right. The 85% solution. It's more important. And this is one of the things that stops people from getting started, Ruthie. They want to do the perfect thing. They want to get that. But getting started is more important than getting 100% and being a 100% expert. Getting 85% of the benefit is usually easier and more achievable. So for example, we talked about credit cards, getting a really good credit card, not the best and perfect one, but a really good credit card and moving on with your life is far better than continuing to search for months and months on the best card out there and, or switching every month, which is a big no, no, because someone has a better promotion, get a really good one. Like we talked about and then just move on with life. Get the 85% solution. What's next? Spend extravagantly on the things you love and cut costs mercilessly on the things you don't. That is right. This is one of the biggest ideas. This applies not only to money, it could apply to eating habits, everything else. Spend extravagantly on the things you love and then cut costs merciless, mercilessly on everything else. It's one of the major themes of the book. I just love this concept. It makes sense in so many areas of life, but this means we need to spend some serious time thinking about what we really want because you can't spend extravagantly on everything. 
you also don't want to cut back on everything. And I love this idea because look, the things you love spend and don't have any guilt associated with it. So anyway, I love this idea. It's a big theme of the book. Um, let's go to the next one. There is a difference between being cool and being rich. That's right. You often hear people talk about the hot stocks they bought or they sold or, Hey, I'd shorted this stock this week. It sounds really cool, right? But our plan is not that our plan is to buy a few, we will get into investing, but it's going to be buy a few good funds and let them grow to five, 10 years and not touch them except for buying more on an automated schedule. How does that sound, Ruthie? Boring. <laughs> Boring. That's right. Investing, investing is not about being cool. It's about making money. So when you look at the investment literature, buy and hold typically wins over the long term. We aren't here to be flashy. We're going to show you how to make money and build wealth so that you can live your rich life. Play offense, not defense. That's right. So Ramit is going to recommend that we, too many of us are playing defense with our finances. We wait till the end of the month. We look at our credit card bill and say, oh, I guess that's how much I spent this month. We accept onerous fees. We don't question complicated advice because we don't understand it. In this series and in his book, we're going to teach you to go on offense with your credit cards, the banks, your investing, and even your own money psychology. So get ready. This is going to be a great series. Time is powerful. Time is power powerful. The biggest advantage you have over me right now, Ruthie, is this one thing. What is that? time. You have t way more time than I do for the money you make today to compound. And we're going to do in one of our episodes, I've already got it prepared. Couldn't fit it into the introduction. It, he doesn't have it in his book, but I've got a whole section just on the power of compound interest. And it, our minds, and I'll give you the, the little lead into this. Our lines think, minds think linearly. It's um, and, and, Compound interest is an exponential function, and it's hard for us to understand just how much each year in compound interest can bring us in life. So time is a powerful ally for young people. How to use money to design your rich life. That's right. Ramit has talked to more than a million people about personal finance over the past 15 years, and it's really interesting. He focuses not on being rich and getting piles and piles of money. He wants you to design a rich life and wants you to think about what does having a rich life mean to you? We're going to go through that. We're going to talk a whole section just about designing your rich life, but most people don't even spend 15 minutes thinking about what having a rich life means to them. And here's a couple of secrets. It's different for everyone. And what else? Money is just a small part of a rich life. Did, did you think that? Do you think money would just be a small part? I thought it was like the only part. <laughs> it's not. It's not the only part. Having a rich life, do you think if you had lots of money and no friends, you'd be happy? No. Do you think if you didn't have a community or family, you'd be happy? No. If you only had money and didn't use money, to do the things you really care about, maybe taking vacations or doing things, you'd be happy? No. No. 
So what do you think maybe having a rich life looks more like? Like um, being able to spend money freely. Yeah. What else? Um, spending money on the things you like. That's right. And understanding that life isn't about money. Life is about relationships. It's about love. It's so much more. Money just enables us to do those things and we need to spend within it. So if we have a plan, we create it, whether we have a lot or a little, even if you only have a little money, you can have a wildly rich life and fantastic life. It's not about how much you have, but whether you have a lot or a little, if you're in debt and always, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, that's not a fun way to live. You have a lot more stress. So he's going to talk a lot about how you design, whether you make a little or you make a lot, either way, how to have use money to your benefit so that you can live the way you want to live. So all of us value different things. I know my wife loves eating out. One of my good friends loves nice cars. Another loves traveling. Um, and another just loves clothes, right? Uh, if you don't consciously choose what a rich life means, it's easy to just end up mindlessly trying to keep up with your friends, Ruthie. It's, it's easy to just bump around and you never really are doing what you want. You're just kind of going where life takes you. It's kind of like you're in a river and just flowing down the river where it's going to take you as opposed to having a destination that you're trying to get to. So let's repeat it because it's so important. What, what did we just talk about there? If you don't consciously choose what a rich life means to you, it's easy to end up mindlessly trying to keep up with your friends. Right. This is an incredibly important point. We can't love and have everything. So we need to decide what's important. And I'm telling you, this can be extremely liberating. Decide what's important for you and then don't apologize for it. It can clarify so many decisions you make in your life. Ramit tells how he and his wife sat down each December and get very intentional about what they want to do in the next year. Where do they want to travel? What can they imagine doing that they'll remember for the next 50 years? This planning process is where they intentionally design their rich life. That's a cool idea, isn't it? Thinking about what can you imagine doing this year that you'll remember for the next 50 years? Right. I mean, can you, do you remember that many things from this last year? Only like vacations. That's right. And cool things, right? The, the big meaningful things that we did. And so being thoughtful and intentional and planning your life around the things that you're going to remember or that mean a lot to you, uh, I think is really, really uh, powerful. I think it's a great concept he has. So when Ramit and his wife decide to keep driving their 15-year-old Honda Accord, right? When they keep driving that old beat-up car or don't go out to expensive dinners with friends, they make those decisions in light of their rich life plan to travel and have experiences because that's what's most important to them. They're going to cut mercilessly on those costs so they can afford to have the experiences that are important to them. Your rich life might be very different. You might say, hey, I want to wear the latest fashions or I want to go to the biggest cultural events or a concert every quarter. Whatever your rich life, don't be embarrassed about how big or small your vision is because our rich life changes over time. Earlier in Ramit's life, his rich life was to be able to order appetizers 
from the restaurant menu, which he was never able to do as a kid. As time went on, his goals got bigger. That's all right. Can you imagine? I mean, look, I, I was there when I was young and poor. I mean, when I was a kid, I didn't always get to order appetizers. <laughs> we would go to dinner. Um, you've grown up differently than I did, but there. do you see how that would be a great goal if you were never able to do that as a kid, if you grew up real yeah. poor? It'd be neat. You're never able to do it. And I think that's a very real goal for people to have. And the important point here is to spend time each year intentionally deciding what is important to you and how to define a rich life. So we're going to go, we've got about five minutes left. We're going to go through Ramit's top 10 rules for a rich life with a slight modification by me, because again, we're a Christian based show and, and podcast here. And he doesn't go into that, but we're going to add that angle to everything that we go through here. Um, but let's go through Ramit's top 10 rules for a rich life, Ruthie. Number one, spend extravagantly cut mercilessly. Absolutely. Huge idea. Number two, this is, this is an important one. Focus on big wins and focusing on big wins means there are five to 10 things we can do that get disproportionate results. So understand that big wins on, on the few things. So focus on those big wins. Those things include automating your savings and investing, finding a job that you love, negotiating your salary, get the big wins and don't worry about ordering a latte. Investing should be boring, mostly automated and profitable over the long term. Absolutely. There's a limit on how much you can cut, but no limit on how much you can make. Think about that for a second. No limit on, or there's a huge limit. There's a limit on how much you can cut. You can't cut more than you're, you're spending, but there's no limit, none on how much you can make. Lots of people with advice, listen politely and stick with the plan. Build a conscious spending plan. We're going to talk all about this, but this is a, like I said, a concept that I love conscious spending plan versus a budget budgets. Look in the rear view mirror. What did I spend? What do I do? What, how did I spend my money this month? A conscious spending plan looks forward. What are the things that I am going to allow myself to spend this month? Similar, but different. Beware of advanced tips. Sometimes the most advanced things you can do are the basics consistently. You are in control. This isn't a Disney movie and nobody's coming to rescue you. You can take control of your finances and build your rich life. Design your own rich life and don't apologize for it. Once you have taken the time to design your own rich life, which will almost certainly be different from the average person's, embrace it. This is the fun part. And number 10, which really should be number one in all of our hearts and in our lives, which is honor the one who gives us everything. Everything we have comes from God, Ruthie, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Whose house is this that we God's. live in? It's God's house. It's easy to say it's, it's ours. This is our house. It's not. It's God's house. We need to thank him for what we have, that everything we have, we've been blessed with and be sure we are giving back to him, not only with our time, but with our money as well. All right. So everyone's homework is to spend time thinking about what is important to you. 
How do you want to live your rich life? What is most important that you want to be able to spend time and money on? And then what are the things you're going to cut mercilessly out of your life? Think through the details. I want to know what is it. And next week, next week's really cool. We're going to jump into what, Ruthie? What is my credit score? Credit score. Do you know what a credit score is? I do. (laughs) Well, we're going to jump in. We're going to learn all about credit scores, credit reports, and what it is. Any thoughts before we wrap up today? No. No. Well, listen, thank you for joining us on Lessons with Dad.